today has been declared, we're going to pray in just a second, but today has been declared a national day of prayer because we've been dealing with, it's called coronavirus. They have it listed as COVID-19. That's Christ over viruses and infectious diseases. <clears throat> Joshua 1 and 9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I want you to stand and pray. We're going to pray. Look, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I'm going to be addressing that today in the sermon. But I want you to stand, if you would. We're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer. The president's ask everyone to pray. And thank God for the president asking for people to pray. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wish all of our leaders were asking for people to pray. You know, we, we try and navigate life without God, and it always ends in a wreck. I don't care who you are. It, it, it doesn't end well unless you've got Jesus in the center of your world. Well, Pastor Rick, what are you going to do if you get sick and die? I'm going to go to heaven. I'm, now, I'm not, I'm not in any hurry to get sick and die, but I'm not going to live my life in fear. So let's come together and pray right now. Father, we're thankful that you are a wall of protection for us. God, that you've delivered us, God, from the curse of sin and the law. God, we stand declaring that we trust you, we believe in you, we pray for our nation, we pray for those that have been affected by this virus, God, that you'll, God, just curse the virus and cause it to die. Lord, touch the families, Lord, comfort, and God, I pray, God, that you break the spirit of fear that has come over this nation, God. I ask in Jesus' name, Father, that you cause your Holy Spirit to rise up within us. Father, as we stand on your word and declare that we are your children, we've been made more than a conqueror through him that loved us, and neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, Father, will be able to overcome us because you love us. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just a couple things. On your tickets that you've been receiving, uh, there's a correction on there. The tickets are saying that that production is at 7 on Saturday night. It's at 6 o'clock. Everybody say it with me, 6 o'clock. Matter of fact, get out a permanent marker and write it on your hand because I know after this is over, somebody's going to say, I didn't know it was at 6. It's at 6 o'clock. They're going to change it on the tickets, but if you've got a ticket that has 7, make sure that you change it to 6. It'll be at 6 o'clock. As uh, Jeannie told you, all the proceeds are going to the Bald Knob Cross. So this is what I'm going to encourage you to do. Usually we do what's called one for the cross, and we take up an offering for the Bald Knob Cross. We're not going to do that. What we're asking you to do is to buy a ticket and use that ticket as an evangelism tool, and then the $5 that you pay for that ticket is going to go to the Bald Knob Cross. So how many of you are willing to do that? Amen. Just hold your hand up if you want. I'm just asking you to buy one ticket. That's it. Hold, hold your hand up. You can buy more than one if you want to. Hold it up. Okay, somebody get a count and write down names. <laughs> now, we're, we're excited that God is moving and that, you know what, can I tell you this, and I, I, I'm not taking this lightly, but you need to understand that when God heard about the coronavirus, he did not start wringing his hands and pacing heaven's floor and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. God is well in control, and he's more than enough to see us through whatever we're facing. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, I want you, as a matter of fact, we're going to, let me read a scripture, and then we're going to go to a song. We're going to stand up and sing a song together. I'm going to lead. This is going to be karaoke night. Okay. Second Timothy 1 and 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want you to understand something about fear. The Bible says that fear has torment. 
How many of you love to be tormented? No. So if you don't want to be tormented, you've got to get fear out of your life. Fear, F-E-A-R, is false evidence appearing real. Do you know that when, when you get fearful, it can paralyze you? How many of you have ever seen somebody? How many of you have ever had a dog come after you? You know what I'm talking about? A, a, a dog starts to run after you and you just, you know, and, and all you need is a shotgun and that dog's not going to bother you. You say, well, what are you talking about? Look, this here is the sword of the Spirit. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So what we've got to learn to do is start addressing our fears with the Word of God. And when you address your fear, when you allow the Word of God to answer your fear, you're going to find out that there's nobody left knocking at that door. Because when faith answers fears knock, nobody's there. And so we have to begin to trust God and believe God, which is something that we ought to do all along, right? I, when I was a child, <clears throat> in, <clears throat> I grew up in a place called Valley View. I was uh, between St. Charles, Illinois, and Elgin, Illinois. In Elgin, there was a railroad track, and this is before they had the arms coming down. So this railroad track was in a precarious place. There was a railroad track, and it, it, it ran through town, and there was a stoplight. And I'll never forget one day a lady, that, that light turned red, and a lady was on the track. She got, there, there were cars in front of her, and there were cars behind her, and nobody was moving, and the signal went off, and a train was coming. She had ample time to get out of her car and get off of the track, but fear paralyzed her. When fear grabs hold of you, it can stop you right in your tracks. And in this case, it stopped her right on a track. The people that were in the cars around her had time to get out of their car, grab her, drag her out of that car, and save her life. But everybody, some, now I understand some people probably didn't even realize what was happening, but those that were behind her certainly saw a train coming, but they were paralyzed with fear. That woman died on that track that day because fear got a hold of her and would not let her go. That train came through and hit that car and killed that lady. After that, they put crosses, or they put, you know, the bars up that come down. And I thought about how that we needlessly let fear, to, let, let me ask you this, how many of you were ever afraid of something, and then afterwards, you found out there was nothing to be afraid of at all? You know what I'm talking about? James has been jumping out of his skin all weekend long. I, 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 I walked in here, and he jumped and I walked, and I went outside, and he was around. He was out by his truck, and I wasn't sneaking up on him. He had earphones in his ear, and so I walk up to him, you know, at, at his truck. I'm walking around the truck and walk up behind me, ah! you know, and jumps back at me, and I'm thinking, man, what is wrong with you? And he's got these earphones in. This is what I'm telling you: if we're not listening to God. And this is no reflection on James. I don't know what he was listening to. But if, I guarantee you it wasn't God. No, I'm kidding. No, I think he was listening to a song. But if you're not listening to God, then you're going to allow distractions and you're going to allow fears to enter into your life and paralyze you. How many of you know that fear is a hope killer? Fear robs from you. It takes from you. Before, before I play this song, I need you to understand something. I had already titled my message. I'd already studied my message, and the name of my message today is called Overcomers. And then I got on YouTube, and I thought, I wonder if there's a clip that I could use to help illustrate overcoming. And instead of finding a clip, I found a song. If you would stand with me. Everybody kind of... Okay, put it up on, put it up. There we go. I want you to sing this with me. The words are going to come up here in a second. Give me, crank it up a little, Mike. 
Turn around, look at your neighbor, and say, you are an overcomer. John 16 and 33, it says, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus makes a statement. He said, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Everybody say peace. That word peace is rest and prosperity. It's not being afraid. He says, in the world. Now, he's letting you know what you're going to get in the world. He said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. That word in Greek means pressure, anguish, and trouble. Don't let the world steal your hope and your dreams. He said, in the world, you shall have tribulation, but what? But be of good cheer. The phrase good cheer there in Greek means courage and boldness. If fear is a hope taker courage is a dream maker i want to say it again if fear is a hope taker courage is a dream maker when you find courage you're going to stand back up no matter what you're going through and you're going to declare that if god be for me who can be against me and you're not going to run from the enemy he said be of good cheer i have who has He has. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. He said, I have overcome the world. The word overcome there means to subdue, conquer, and prevail. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying this world that's given you so much trouble, you can be of good cheer. You don't have to get 
all beside yourself. He said, I've conquered it. I've whipped it. I've prevailed against it. Everybody say, more than a conqueror. That's what the Scripture says we are in Christ Jesus, more than a conqueror. But I thought about how that the devil is always coming after us, trying to rob us of our joy, trying to intimidate us, trying to steal our fears. He did it with the children of Israel, and all it took was one giant. Everybody say one giant. Now, I grant to you that Goliath was pretty impressive. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. But he was just one giant. And if the body had hung together, that giant would have been the one that was fearful. You have to understand how the devil operates. Listen to what Goliath said. Goliath said, send me a man to fight. The first thing he's trying to do is separate you from the body of Christ. The devil operates that way. He doesn't want the whole church showing up. He just wants one of you to show up because he figures he can handle one of us. This is what the Bible said. The Bible said that if one can put a thousand to flight, and how many can two put? 10,000. 10, Do you realize that we're 10 times stronger when just one other person shows up? Just one other person. Slap some, take somebody by the hand and say, we're 10 times better together. 10 times better together. I had a guy one time I was, when I was working a secular job, this guy got kind of bent out of shape over the church he was going to, and he came to me and he said, Rick, he said, I'm not going to church anymore. I said, you're not. I said, how come? He said, man, he said, I, I, that, that, I don't need that church down there. He said, I, I, I can live for God at home. I'm, I, I, I looked at him, I said, his name was Blake. I said, Blake? I said, you mean to tell me that you've got a strong enough relationship with God that you don't need anyone else? He said, yeah, that's right. I, I, I can live for God by myself. I said, what about your family? I got enough for my family too. I said, you've got enough relationship with God that you or your family, to take care of you and your family? And he said, that's right. I said, you're the stingiest person I've ever met in my life. I said, you've got a relationship with God like that and you won't go to church and share it with anybody. Amen. Do you understand we need one another? Turn around and look at me and say, I know you don't want to hear this, but you need me. <laughs> if nothing else, you need me to help you pray. Because every time you get around me, you want to pray. <laughs> you need me to help you get to keep you in check. Do you understand that God has uniquely made us so that we can strengthen each other. He said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, and much more as you see the day approaching. Whatever it is we're facing, we need one another. And we need to hang on to God. Everybody say, just hang on. He tells us in 1 John 4 and 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. When David was facing Goliath, he didn't face Goliath on his own. He stepped up and he looked at that giant and he said, you come to me. And the giant was intimidating. He looked at David and said, man, am I a dog that you're sending a kid out here with a stick to try and take care of me? He said, come out here, little boy. He said, I'll take your carcass and feed it to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. David looked at him and said, you come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And this, do you understand? It's all about what you're focused on. Everybody else was focused on the giant and David was focused on God. So the giant could only intimidate those that focus on him. But when you're focused on God, the giant is no match for your God. Let him rise up inside of you. He said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. How many of you are saved in this building today? Wave your hand if you're saved. If you're not sure you're saved, let me let you in on a secret. You're not. I mean, this isn't a hope-so salvation or a think-so salvation. This is a no-so salvation. God wouldn't leave something as important as your eternity up to guesswork. So you've got to know it. And if you don't know it, you can know it before you leave here today. 
said, well, what do I got to do? Come up there and touch your hand. My hand's got nothing to do with your salvation. What you need to do is extend your hand to him and say, Lord, I'm asking you into my heart to forgive me of my sin. And in that moment, God can save you. Somebody said, oh, that's too easy. Well, you don't understand the price he paid for it. You know, it might seem easy to you, but he did the hard part already. He went to Calvary so we could have life and have it more abundantly. Now, I'm not going to argue with God. I don't deserve salvation. I understand that. I'm not arguing with God. I'm just going to accept the free gift that he's offering and say, thank you, Jesus. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I'm thankful. I'm not getting what I deserve. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give you what you deserve? You know what you deserve. <laughs> we can always point it out to each other, can't we? Uh, you, know who, you know you're rotten. You know, you know what I'm talking about. It's like the devil will always bring that up. I think about John Wesley when he was laying sick in bed, and the devil appeared to him at the foot of his bed, and he looked at the great reformer, and he had a scroll in his hand, and he rolled this scroll out the length of the room, and he said, John Wesley, he said, here are all your sins. And he rolled it out the length of the room, and that great reformer, instead of cowing down in fear, he propped up, he looked at that roll, and he said to Satan, he said, you're right. He said, I've committed every one, but there's something you've forgotten. I've been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> and he said, with that, the devil left his room. I'm telling you, when you answer the devil's charges and his fears and his accusations with the promise of God's word, the devil's going to leave every time. Everybody say it with me, an overcomer. He said in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, For whatever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? It said he that's born of God. But the scripture goes on, Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. He said, whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. This happens to me on a, uh, I'm not, not, not all the time, but it's happened to me frequently. That I've had people come up to me and they look at me concerning their sins. And they say, they, 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 for an excuse of their sin, this is what they say. They say, well, I was born this way. Now, whether it was homosexuality or, or you know, addiction or what, whatever is going on, they look at me and they say, I was born this way. My response to them is, I was too. And they always look at me kind of funny. I said, look, I said, the scripture says that I was born in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. I said, so that's why Jesus said, you have to be born again. Amen. Who is he that overcometh the world? He that is born of God. Not born of his mother, but born of God. Nicodemus said, well, how can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? And he said, look, man, you got the, can I put it in the vernacular? Look, you got this wrong. He said, the wind blows, you see it blowing, you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's going. He said, that's the way it is with people that are born again of the Spirit of God. Man, the Spirit just comes over you. The night I got saved, I didn't see Jesus appear to me in a vision and walk up and say, I'm going to save you. I felt something grab hold of my heart. I dropped down on my knees. Man, my brother was already laid over in a pew shaking. And I'm thinking, dear God, what's happening in this place? And I, I remember going to the front because I thought, I, there's something real that I'm experiencing that I don't understand. Amen. How many of you have ever felt God? You know what I'm talking about, felt God? Ever feel God touch you? Let me, let me share this with you. If you've never felt God touch you, you're not saved. How dare you say that? No, look, this is what the scripture said. Jesus said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. So you can't, you can't go until the Spirit draws you. And when the Spirit draws you, it's that tug on your heart. Let me say it this way. How many of you have ever felt God tug on your heart? My brother was in a church service one time, and he, he was an old rank sinner. Now, he was away from God. He was running from the Lord. I was 
and it wasn't like I was real dedicated, but I knew what was going on. I was about 15 years old at the time, and Daryl was running and, you know, doing drugs and stuff, and he, he was in a service, and I looked up at him, and he's going, man, tears are coming down his eyes, and he's wiping his eyes, and he's wiping his head. He said, man, it's hot in here, isn't it? I wouldn't talk to him because I knew God was dealing with him. I knew that pull was on there, and I didn't want to do anything to interfere with God pulling on his heart. Do you realize how precious it is when God touches your heart? How, how important it is that you can feel God draw you? God help us in the day that we can't feel him anymore. Because God, it's not his will that any should perish but all have everlasting life. He wants to make us overcomers. Everybody say overcomers. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. How many of you have ever heard of John G. Lake? John G. Lake was a missionary to South Africa in the early 1900s. And he had a miraculous ministry. God used him and I forget how many thousands of people documented the, the, the report, the, the press actually tried to expose him as like a uh, charlatan. And, and he invited the press in and he started producing documents. And as the reporters started investigating, they were taken back. John G. Lake's trying to give him more documents and the reporters said, we don't need any more proof. He's, they looked at him and said, you didn't tell us half of what's happened. So he's in South Africa as a missionary, and there's an outbreak of the bubonic plague. They went to him, and they asked him, they said, we've got a question for you because we don't understand why you're not affected by this plague. He was helping to minister, you know, not, not just in the Word, but he was also caring for people that had the plague and they couldn't figure out why he wasn't catching it. He wasn't wearing a mask. He was, you know, and they were thinking, how, how can you not catch this? And he told them, as a matter of fact, let me just read a quote from him if I can. He said, while assisting doctors with bubonic plague, Lake was asked, why he had not contracted the disease since he had no protection. He said, it is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Everybody say it with me. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus. To demonstrate, he, he was telling them, he said, look, I've got Christ in me. And what's the Bible say? Christ in me is what? The hope of glory. And so what he did was there was, a, you know, people were dying and they would, you know, they would verify that it was the plague. So on the lungs, there would be a foam that would come up. So he had one of the doctors, that the doctor had been doing, I guess, an autopsy. But he, he had the doctor had that foam and he'd been viewing it under the microscope and saw the plague in the foam. And he told the doctor, he said, put that in my hand. And the doctor looked at him and said, you, I, I can't do that. He said, put it in my hand. He put that foam in John G. Lake's hand. And when he did, he said, now I want you to look at it underneath the microscope and tell me what you see. And he looked at it and he said, the plague has died. He said, do you understand? He said, the Christ is in me. So the plague can't have any power over me. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He, he demonstrated this another time. There was a man that had, he had a bone infection, and he told the doctor to hook up the instruments, and the doctor hooked the instruments up, and they were viewing the, his bone and the infection that was in the bone. He said, now tell me what you see when I start praying for him. He started praying for this guy, and the doctors looked, and they said, all the, all, all the molecular, the, 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 all the cells are changing. They're responding. They're, they're, it was killing the infection out, and it it was producing life. Jesus said, I came that you could have life and have it more abundantly. 
Now, I want you to get a hold of this because sometimes we hear stuff like that. We go, oh, I don't know about all that stuff. The Bible said, as your faith is, so be it to you. The man that never got healed is the one that said, I don't believe it. You say, now, wait a minute. I know some folks that didn't get healed and they went to heaven. Okay, how do you figure that that means they didn't get healed? That was an ultimate healing, wasn't it? I mean, Paul was talking, and Paul said, look, he said, I'm torn between two things here. He said, there's part of me that wants to go on to be with God because, you know, that's a far better thing. He said, but there's a part of me that knows I need to stay here with you. He said, so I'm torn there. We hold on to this life because it's the only life we know and we understand. But I've been with people that were getting close to changing to the next life. And I've watched them, and I've seen their demeanor, and I've watched them look at me and say, man, would you just pray that I can go on and be with God in glory? Why? Because they were closer to the next life than they were this life, and there was nothing in this life that was holding them any longer. And so all of a sudden, it's like, I want to make the step. I want to make the transition. Do you understand? If you get a glimpse of God in heaven, you ain't going to want to come back to this place. I mean, just unless God's telling you, you know, I still got some work for you, you need to go back. But once you, Paul said it this way, he said, I knew a man, whether in body or spirit, he said, I know not the same was caught up into a third heaven. And he saw things that are not, not even lawful to be uttered. One translation rendered it, it would be a crime to try and describe what I saw. There just aren't words for it. Do you understand that God, the, the best for us is still yet to come. One guy jumped up in a service and he yelled, how many want to go to heaven? Stand up. Man, everybody crossed that building and stood up except one guy was still seated. He looked at me and said, brother, he said, do you not want to go to heaven? He said, yes, but the way you're talking, I thought you were about to get a bus load up for tonight. <laughs> Isn't it something how we, we want heaven, but we fear death? I'm telling you, David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Do you understand? I'm not going until he wants me to go. Amen. And if he wants me to go, I'm not staying. <laughs> Let me share this with you. This is, in Revelation, this is powerful to me. And I'm, going to, I'm not going to read all these. I'm just going to give you excerpts of it. But in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation, it starts addressing the one that overcomes. Listen to the promise that are made here. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. He that overcometh shall not hurt, be hurt of the second death. To him that overcometh will I give to eat hidden manna. He that overcometh to him will I give power over the nations. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Him that overcometh will I grant to set with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Somebody say, I want to be an overcomer. <laughs> You know, if, we, if, if, if something would happen to us and we get excited about living for God, there's no telling what would take place. I mean, think about it a second. What, what would happen? Can, can I ask you for one moment to be real transparent with me? If you're a Cardinals fan, wave your hand. Hold your hand up if you're a Cardinals fan. If you're a Cubs fan, hold your hand up. Oh, oh, come here, come here, come here. Dina and Ron, come up here. See, here's what I'm telling This is what I want you to get. Because I said, how many are Cardinals fan? And, so and some of you are going. But <laughs> when, I said, when I said, are you a Cubs fan? Dina, Dina, yeah, there it goes. Do it again. She, she threw her hand up. Woo! Even though the Cardinals usually beat the Cubs. <laughs> Doesn't matter. That's my team. Now, I got some good news for you. How many of you excited about being on... Jesus side. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're doing that because you're in a church house. But put you in a ballpark. Hey, I didn't tell you you could leave. Come up here. I'm not done with you yet. Come up here. Come up here just a second. Put you, put you in a ballpark, and you will go. Help me out. Look at you all sitting there. Can't believe this is supposed to be a church house, and that guy's acting like that up on stage. Go 
to a ball game and you get beside yourself. You don't care who's beside you. I, I, went to a, I went to high school and there was a girl I went to high school with that went to an Elvis Presley concert. This is what she told me. She said, she, she was a teenager, she was my age. She, she went to an Elvis Presley concert. When Elvis came out on stage, she just got a great big Coke and she had this huge Coke in her hand and when Elvis came out on stage, she went, Woo! and poured it right on the guy's head in front of her. Just lost all her composure. All her com I guarantee you she didn't do that when she went to church. We go to church and we sit calm, cool, and collected like the person that we're serving doesn't even exist or is a relic of the past. I, I'm here to tell you that I'm excited uh, to be an overcomer. I'm glad to know that he's alive, he's well, and I'm going to give him the wave. I, I'm going to give him the Come on, somebody. I'm going to give him the wave. Give them, a, give them a hand. You can go be seated now. Okay. Here's, th this is what I want you to get a hold of. Now, she made a statement. I heard her say up here, I'm, I'm not yelling anymore. You better yell or I'm going to come and get you. I, I get disappointed when all of a sudden we're more excited about a secular event than we are about God. When we can come, you need to understand something. And I've, I've said this over and over. But when I came to God, I didn't know anything about God. I hadn't been raised in church. And I'm just telling you up front, if living for God had been about sitting on a pew, it had never happened in my life. See, when I came to God, I felt a reality of his presence. Something got a hold of me that I could not explain away. I've lived for God that way my entire life. I've sought the presence of God. I've prayed and, and sought the face of God. Do you understand when you're a, an evangelist for 21 years, people aren't asking you to come to their church so that you can fold your hands and give them a sweet talk. They want the power and the presence of God. It's time for us to make up our mind. I'm not going to be satisfied with anything less than the power and the presence of God in my life. Everybody say it with me, overcomer. I'm going to try not to get excited. Revelation 12 and 11. And they overcame and conquered him. Everybody say Satan. This is what this is in reference to. And they overcame. Now this is pretty powerful stuff because they is talking about us. Everybody say us. Him is talking about Satan. Everybody say Satan. So everybody say, we overcame Satan because of the blood of the Lamb. I'm reading from the amplified part here. Do you understand that, man, Calvary is powerful? Calvary, if you, could have, if you could have seen in a spiritual realm what happened the moment he died. As long as he was suspended in life between heaven and earth, Satan thought he'd won the war. But the moment he died, the earth started to shake in convulsions. Rocks started splitting open. Graves opened up and dead people got up and started walking. Everybody say zombie land. Do you, do you understand? Everybody, it's a big deal now. You know, people say, oh, zombie land. All these people walking around. Like, I'm telling you that he caused the dead to come back to life, and it wasn't some Hollywood stunt. That's powerful. Everybody say powerful. And the Bible said as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man entered the heart of the earth. <laughs> Can't you see Satan in hell or, you know, throwing a big party with all the demons? Oh, we got him, we got him. And a knock comes on the door. <laughs> they just ignore the knock because they got, you know, there's a party going, oh, we got yeah. You the man, devil. The knock doesn't go away. And now the knock 
is shaking the door. <laughs> Matter of fact, when Isaiah heard the voice, he said that the voice filled the temple. Man, it started shaking the foundations of the temple. Can you imagine what it was doing in hell? <laughs> boom, boom, boom. One of those demons run over, you know, and they look out the peephole, if hell's got a peephole. <laughs> they look out the peephole, and they, you know, and everybody's in there, woo! He runs back in. Hey, boss, we got trouble. Don't bother me now. We celebrate. You better quit celebrating. I'm telling you that the guy that you think is dead is alive and well, and he's knocking down the door of hell. And he, my friend, when he got done, we were made more than a conqueror. When Christ put his foot against the gate of hell, and he came back with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Somebody gets a brand new car, and they, whoo, look at my keys. Your car will only take you to California or the East Coast because when you get to water, your car's over. But let me tell you the keys that I found. <laughs> oh, they're going to take me all the way from this world to another world and bring me back again. Overcomers. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Oh, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so afraid. If you're dependent on the word of your testimony to overcome Satan, the blood's been shed. That's a done deal. Amen. But the word of your testimony, you better, you better get a grip on. Because if all you're speaking is fear, then you're giving a foothold to the devil. You've got to speak faith. Everybody say faith. faith. Say it with me one more time. Faith. faith. You've got to call those things that are not as though they were. Faith. I was sharing with a pastor Saturday. I was talking to him. I was talking about a trip I went to on Russia. I said, you know, the, the, I found out that you, you really need, we, we have to learn how to trust God. I was on a, a, a trip, and nothing on that trip was going right. The people that were, uh, I, I had a group with me, and the Russians were trying to manipulate the, the, this, this tour company, this Russian tour company was trying to manipulate my trip, and, and I was locked in, and it was like I couldn't get a, free from that. And I, I went in that, but any of you ever have a pouting session? Wave your hand if you've ever pouted before. Hold it up, hold it up. And now, those of you who don't have your hand up, we're going to have a service for you to repent later. I'll go talk to your mama. I bet I find out you used to pout. My sister used to get a cotton ball and put it right there. Suck her thumb and go, I want to go to town. I want to go to town. It didn't make her get any closer to town. Pout. I, I was having a pouting session. I didn't let anybody, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it to anyone else, but I was pouting before God. And I remember walking up on that bus, you know, and I, I, I'm thinking, God, I can't, you know, just inside. I, I wasn't speaking anything out verbally, but just inside, I was going, God, man, I can't believe all this. Nothing's going right on this trip. Uh, you know, and I sat down on the seat. I went to lean my head to put it against the window, but the window was a lot closer than I realized. So I went like that, and it went, pow, man. And I'm telling you, it knocked some sense into me. It was honestly, I felt like God just went, and, and that hit my head. And when it hit my head, I went, uh, I went like that. And all of a sudden, I hear God start speaking, not in an audible voice, but to my heart. And he said, I want you to quit worrying about this, and trust me, I'll take care of this. And I started, honest to goodness, man, on that bus without anybody knowing what had happened, I started repenting before God. I said, God, I'm sorry. I trust you. I, I'm just thinking. Within two hours, I was free from that company. I had my own bus for the whole two weeks I was going to be there. Had my own bus, had my own interpreters, and they couldn't touch me anymore. <laughs> If you'll just hold on and trust God, he's going to work it out for you. He's already told you. He said, look, in the world, you're going to have some trouble. You're going to have some tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So when trouble comes, when trouble comes your way, don't, don't go, oh, oh. 
like you weren't expecting it, as long as you're living, you're going to face challenges. When challenges come, just focus on God instead of the giant. And what you'll find out is God's able to take care of any giant that tries to vault itself in front of you and tries to intimidate you. Everybody say it with me. I choose to trust Jesus. I'm about to wrap it up. Everybody say praise God. <laughs> Romans 8, 15 to 17. This is in the message. I want you to get this. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we are certainly going to go through the good times with him. Everybody say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. How many of you have ever had some mess-ups in your life? Anybody? Did you, ever, did, you ever, did you ever do something boneheaded? You don't have to w wave your hand on this, but you ever done something boneheaded, you know, where you wouldn't admit it to anybody else, but under your breath you're going, that was really boneheaded. I can't believe I just did that. That was really dumb. It's kind of like this. How many of you have ever been walking before and you do one of these? And then what do you do? What do you do? You go back. And the, you, you didn't trip over nothing. You go back and you look. Because you, you're afraid somebody just watched you fall over your own feet. So you go back and you look and you're, they need to fix this sidewalk. Debbie laughs at me. I, there's a pair of shoes I've got at the house and they're just about this much too big for me. And I'll be walking through the house, and I can't tell you the number of times I've done this. I'll be walking through the house and do, do one of those. And when every time I do, she, she'll start laughing. I'll say, man, it's these crazy shoes. I'm the one that put them on. I, I think about that, and I think, why don't I get rid of these shoes? There must be something about us that likes to trip. <laughs> because sometimes we trip over our own devices. Do you understand that God wants you to succeed? That God believes in you more than you believe in yourself? Do you, do you get that? Let me, we, we aren't just God's children. We're his grandchildren. Everybody say grand, grand. children. See, because when we have, God, God treats us like we treat our grandchildren. How many of you, when you had children, you wouldn't let them make messes? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, don't do that. We had, when we had our first grandchildren, Landon is up on the counter cracking nuts. And they are going everywhere. He's just like two years old or three or something. He's how old? Three and you know, he, he saw Pawpaw cracking nuts. He gets that and he cracks it. Man, these walnut shells are shooting out all over the kitchen. And I said, oh, and of course I knew how upset Debbie would be. And I said, oh, don't do that, buddy. Don't do that. And she goes, let him go. He's fine. <laughs> Me and my son and my daughter turned around and looked at her. And she goes, what? I said, you would have never let the children do that. And she goes, oh, and they go, oh, no, you wouldn't. Their pictures didn't even make it on the refrigerator. She'd put it up for, you know, about, oh, yeah, that's so pretty. <laughs> Fold it up and put it in a drawer. Did you see that? They didn't stay in the lines. <laughs> our grandchildren, our granddaughter, our granddaughter takes an ink pen and she starts doing this with it, Vivian, and she starts, huh, was it a crayon? She takes a crayon and she starts doing this with it. She just... 
Debbie leaves it on the refrigerator for months. For months. She is so talented. Look at that. It looked like abstract art, man. I mean, look at that. Look at that. Oh, she's so talented. So... And then every time she'd come over, make me another masterpiece, baby. Just put a piece of paper down and give her a crayon. Look at her go. I want you to understand something about God. That's our mistakes become God's masterpieces. If you would run that for me, please. I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life. Sounds great in theory, but it can seem impossible. Life is messy. The lines have gotten blurred. Maybe we just don't know where to start. We look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake. It's overwhelming. When I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles, it makes me think, is this as good as it gets? There's no eraser that can make this life make sense. But what if? What if there was someone that could make sense of our mess? They could take all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our missed opportunities, and make them into a masterpiece. And then I remember, there is Jesus. He gives us a new life. Every day is new. Every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise. He takes our canvases, our lives that have been filled up with shortcomings, secrets, tragedies, and embarrassments, and he helps them make sense. When I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. So as we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that he will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece, his masterpiece. How many of you are ready today to just give it all to God. Let him take care of it. He's more than enough. Would you stand with me today? Our mistakes become God's masterpiece. I want you just to think back and I want you to consider something. I want you to think back over your life. Just go back over the years and I want you to view those places in your life where you just really messed up. Everybody say, I blew it. And I want you to think how God brought you from that place to where you are now. How he was able to redeem you, forgive you, Turn the tide in your favor. Change you so that you didn't even feel the same way anymore. The internal struggles that you had are now just a memory. And can I share something with you? The struggles that you're having today, if you'll hold on to God in the future, they're just going to be a memory because God is more than able to rescue us. You are his masterpiece. But wait a minute. How many of you have ever gone through an art museum before? You ever been through an art museum? You ever seen some of the abstract artists? You know what I'm talking about? 
I've, I've, I've been in some of the, when I was doing mission work in Russia, I was in the winter palace and the summer palace and they called the hermitage. And there was artwork from the great masters there. I saw paintings. A matter of fact, got in trouble taking a picture of a painting of Rembrandt. I saw Michelangelo's work, Monet, Van Gogh, all these guys that are renowned, Picasso. And, and I, if I'm going to be honest with you, I looked at some of that artwork and they talked about how valuable it was. And under my breath, I was thinking, I wouldn't give $10 for that. Some of it was so abstract, it made no sense to me at all. This isn't about what people think of you. This is about how God feels about you. And when people were ready to write you off and say, I wouldn't give anything for you, there's a God that believes in you so much that he was willing to give his life for you. I understand, you know, the fear and all this coronavirus stuff. And I almost literally, I almost went to the lumber yard and bought me a 10 foot pole. And I was going to preach a message today. I wouldn't touch you with a 10 foot pole because everybody's scared to death about getting close to one. Oh, and I'm thinking, really? And I, I'm not making light of what we're going through, but I want, I want to put it in perspective. Christ embraced us in our sin, which is a lot more deadly than the coronavirus. In our sin. The Bible says that God commended his love toward us and that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. The scripture said that the wages of sin is death. There's no, you don't overcome sin. You understand what I'm talking about? You, there's no diagnosis for sin outside of Christ. You have to get inoculated by the blood of the lamb. But he stepped into our sin sick world, not afraid to become like us so he could redeem us. And that, my friend, is the best news this world has ever had declared to it. So don't worry about what someone else is saying about you or what or how you may even feel because the scripture tells us that if our heart condemns us, that God's more powerful than our heart. Because how many of you know that sometimes the devil will try and get in your mind and start twisting your thoughts and your emotions to the point that he's got you believing God could never love you. You've messed up too bad. You've made too many mistakes. You've blown it too many times. There's no way that he's ever going to love you or forgive you. And yet the scripture says, declaring God that his mercy is new every morning, that his grace is sufficient. And when you know in your heart that you've failed him, and you pick yourself up and you stretch those hands toward him and you're saying, God, I'm so sorry. I need you like a mother hearing her baby cry. He swoops you up in his arms because he's more willing to forgive than you are to ask. I'm going to leave you with this. He proved it the Last Supper when he washed those feet. Peter looked at me and said, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. And he said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you've got no part of me. And he said, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. Let me put it in plain English. He said, you don't need your head and your hands washed. He said, you're, you're clean, but not all of you. These, this is what Jesus was saying. These feet 
are getting ready to take you someplace you don't want to go. And you're going to do some things that you don't want to do. And before it happens, I'm washing you. I'm letting you know that I forgive you before you even mess up. Do you know whose feet he washed? Everybody's. Every one of his disciples, including Judas, Judas was there. And he washed the feet of the man that was going to sell him out to be crucified. I thought about that. I thought about how if Judas would have turned toward Christ even after his betrayal, that he could have found peace in Christ. But his, the devil had him so twisted that he couldn't go there. And instead, he ran to self-destruction. Don't let the devil cause you to destroy yourself. There's a God that cares for you, that loves you, and it's willing to lift you up and remind you, you are an overcomer. Would you say it with me? I'm an overcomer. I want you, if you would, to gather to the front today. It's the National Day of Prayer. There's so much that we need to ask God for. One is direction for our own lives. The mess became a masterpiece. Fear was replaced with faith. I want you to think about this. We're going to pray. But when David stepped out on the battlefield and he looked at Goliath, David did not allow all of his weaknesses to take control of him. What do you mean? The giant said, you're just a snot-nosed kid. You send a boy out here? You send, am I a dog that you send some kid out here? David refused to look at himself. Instead, he kept his focus on God. Because if you start looking at yourself, you're never going to feel like you're courageous enough to take on a giant. But if you look on God, it's kind of like that schoolyard mentality that when some bully showed up, you looked at him and said, you keep messing with me and I'm going to tell my dad on you. You keep messing with me, I'm going to tell my dad on you. And I got to tell you, I got the biggest daddy of them all. How many of you are ready to let daddy take care of it? You ready to let daddy take care of it? I want you to stretch your hands to heaven with me right now. Think about what David did. David said, I'm going to focus on God. I'm not going to look at the giant. I'm going to look at God. And God's bigger than this giant is. And it gave David the courage to step out and look at that giant and start speaking against him. You come to me with all your stuff, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He's my God, and he's going to deliver you into my hand. Come on, just stretch those hands up. Take a minute and begin to pour your heart out to God. Just begin to put it in God's hands. God, here it is. Take my mess, God. Take my situation. Take my fears and release me from them. Father, in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place right now. God, that you're freeing us from fear, from feel, fear of failure, from fear of yesterday, from fear of the unexpected. 
and you're replacing it with trust and faith in you. Because when I think about the goodness of God, when I think about how powerful you are, my heart is overwhelmed. And so today, I say, yes, God, I trust you. Come on, do it with me. Yes, God, I trust you. Yes, Lord, I believe in you. Yes, Lord, I know that everything's in your hand. And yes, I've been made an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb. Come on and give me a hand clap of praise in this house today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? let you go get somebody by the hand grab somebody by the hand. don't okay look if you if you're afraid to take their hand we've got disinfectant out in the lobby we'll just hose you down with some Lysol you got somebody I want you to say this with me today I declare I'm a child of God and no weapon formed against me will prosper this is my inheritance this is my promise this is my heritage I am an overcomer in Jesus name now let's give my hand clap for praise hallelujah God bless you today as you go forth may the Lord keep you and lead you may you know that head and not the tail, that you're above and not beneath, and that God will bless you going in and coming out in Jesus' name. God bless you today.